Bibles, the book of 1 John in the second chapter. While you're making your way there, I just want to say how much I appreciate our worship team. Um, I was sitting over there singing with my wife, and I just looked over at her and I said, you know, our worship team chooses the right songs every week. Amen? Isn't that true? I mean, it's just so uplifting. Christ is always exalted. And, um, and it's not one worship team that does it. It's like all the worship team do it. And so it's so encouraging to me, um, the worship time. It's, it's hard for me to get back, get my heart rate down and get focused on what I want to talk about. And, but I, I just um, really appreciate them and what they do for the church and, and the worship time. I believe the Lord is very pleased with it. And, uh, and I appreciate you guys because you sing out. You're not, you don't just let, they're not performing up here. This is not a concert, right? But they're leading you in worship. And you're responding to that. And so, um, praise the Lord for that. And, and the Lord is praised by that. Um, just a few thoughts about the rally. I know we got just all these people here in our town. And I've been reading through the book of Exodus. And after the Lord gives the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, and he's giving them instruction on how to treat, how to, how to function um, after they've left Egypt, um, he talks to them about how to treat Sojourners, He calls them sojourners or pilgrims or people who are passing through. And, and he tells them this. Every, each time he talks about these pilgrims or sojourners, he says, he says, remember that you used to be like that. Each time he says that, remember that you used to be like that. And I think as we look at what's going on around us, it's crazy. I'm, I'm glad it's quiet this morning, right? I don't, I don't hear any roars. I'm sure we'll hear some before we're done, right? Um, but... I'm glad, I'm glad to be here in God's house. And I'm glad that, this, this, that God gives us this opportunity. And I don't know how it looks and how we participate in it. And I was talking to a, a Christian association this morning over there. They had parked in front of the church and, and they're over and they're passing out Bibles and just had a, a time of um, conversation with them. But it's like, you know, the Lord can use things like this. And it, it, a lot of it has to do with what our perception is of these things. And, and I think if we always keep, it's like Ephesians says, we used to be like that. In, t- in times past, we were children of disobedience. And the Lord, in his grace, brought us to life, right? And, and he can do it to anybody. And so I just, I, I, just, I think that's kind of where my heart is, is Lord, help me to see the people around me and to know where I used to be and what you brought me from and what you're capable of doing in, in their lives as well. So ask the Lord to give you a ministry this weekend to somebody uh, who was around you that maybe wasn't there before. First Corinthians chapter number two. Um, a few things to remember as we go through this passage of, uh, of scripture, this book of the Bible. Remember that God's love or a love for God is the pinnacle of spiritual security and confidence. The main theme of the book is that we be secure in Christ, that we might know that we have eternal life. So John is very interested in our eternal security because he knows that if we are eternally secure, if we know that we are in Christ, if we know that Christ is in us and we're a part of his family, then we're going to be confident and we're going to be bold for him. Amen? Amen. When, when he can convince us 
when the, when the devil can convince us to, to doubt whether or not we're a part of God's family, we're, whether we're in or not, he gets us to live life. And it's interesting because as we start to doubt whether we're saved or not, all of a sudden we start to focus on whom? We start to focus on ourselves, don't we? Our, our attention goes from, number one, loving God, number two, loving people, and all of a sudden, very quickly, we love, we love me, and so, so John wants to, to establish that the foundation for your confidence in Christ, the foundation for your eternal security is important to your boldness. And it's based upon, it's, it's manifest, the, the, the essence of it is, is your love for God. It's not whether or not you obey God, which is very, very important because 1 John 5, it says um, that we might obey his law and that his law is not grievous to us. So it's not just obedience that manifests that Christ lives in us, but it is the love for God. It is the love for obedience, the love for his word and, and his will. So with that being said, it makes sense why Satan is so aggressively attacking us in this area of our love, what, what we're passionate about. I would say to you that in American culture today, and if you study history, you can see it in European culture. Um, European culture went through extraordinary revivals for a number of years, and then slowly but surely, Satan started attacking them in this area of what they love, what their passions were. And now if you go to Europe, what you find is you can go to some very, very extraordinary, beautiful churches, right? Maybe I should rephrase that. Some extraordinary buildings, but guess what's not there? The church is not there. The people are not there. And folks, listen, we as Americans, we cannot be so naive as to think that we're not following in the exact same pattern that they followed in. 2,000 years ago, they met how often? Acts chapter number two, they met every single day of the week, right? Every single day of the week. A few hundred years ago, they met three, four, five times a week. Now it's very, very difficult for us to find time to meet one time a week. The devil has attacked us in this area of priorities, and he's constantly placing things into our lives to consume us so that we cannot do the things of God. And remember this, the things that Satan places in our life are not always bad. They're not always evil things. We, we spend our lives trying to avoid evil things, but we don't realize that Satan doesn't always use evil things. He sometimes uses good things. I know my own personal testimony is there, there are seasons of my life where I would give up something. I told the Lord, it's like, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore because I just need more time for you, right? Do you know how quickly the devil filled up that time? All of a sudden, it's not six months down the road that that time that I gave up so that I could spend more time in devotion or spend more time in prayer or spend more time um, uh, um, helping people, discipling, all of a sudden, that time is full as well with something else that's focused on me and self. This is the, this is the way the devil functions and the way the devil works. And if we're not careful as a culture and as a people, what we're looking at, what are, we just sent all these kids over here, Right? What they're looking at in the next generation is a culture that sees the church, sees God, sees um, 
uh, ministry as being insignificant and unimportant. We have to, as a church, guard against that. And as parents, we have to guard against that. Remember this. The devil is the master of manipulating and replacing worship and dependence on God with systems and things. We see this in Romans chapter number 1, verse 21 through 23. Read with me in the Bible here in our text. We're going to read three verses this morning, and we're going to try to unpack these. It's the same three verses last week, but I only got through half of last week, so I'm going to get the last uh, two thoughts in this week. John says, do not love the world. And this is a command. It's not a suggestion. John is not saying that it's, 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 it's something that's optional. He says, he says commanding, um, do not love the world. Do not, do not fall in love. Do not have a, an intimate relationship with the world. And again, John is not dealing with the people of the world. He's dealing with the systems of this world. Those things that are put into place to, re, to ultimately take the place of God and to fill up our time and energy with things other than the things that are important. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the tool that Satan has in, in um, consuming us with other things other than God is the world. He basically, he just calls it the world, the cosmos, the, um, the place where we exist and live. And obviously he's not talking about the world as a, a, a system in, the, um, in what he created, but he's talking about a world in kind of an, an economic system, a political system, all of these other systems that are around us, an entertainment system. These things are the things that uh, John is referring to. John's strength in this situation is the world and the fact that it offers us so much and his weapon or his, why he's so powerful is because we are prone to three things, as he mentions here. We are prone to the lust of the flesh, to the lust of the eyes, and to the pride of life. In other words, what John says is three areas that make you vulnerable to these temptations. Number one is when your needs become necessities. Okay? When your needs become necessities, they can become an idol. When your desires, the things that you see, become desperations, where they become things that you have to have, they become idols. And then the last thing is, is when, our, when, our, um, when our pride, the things that we think we deserve, become rights. And we must have them, otherwise we cannot function. The Lord speaks of of the, the world in Genesis chapter number six, and he describes it this way. The, law, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, the thinking of man was only evil continually. John Calvin says it this way, the, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. 
And it goes back again to Genesis 6 and verse 5. It's, it's the imagination of our mind, the imagination of our heart. We, we invent things that we ultimately come to worship. We see them as gods. In Genesis chapter number 2, okay, we all know the story. God warned Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or he would die. His freedom would be lost and his fellowship with God would be destroyed. Every good thing about Adam, Eve, and the garden would be lost if they ate this fruit, right? Every good thing about Adam and Eve would be lost if they ate of this fruit. In Genesis chapter number three, Satan comes to Eve in the garden and he tells her all of the benefits of eating the fruit. He tells her all of the benefits, all of how, of how wonderful the fruit is and how it will gratify or satisfy the needs of the flesh, the needs of the eye or the desires of the eye and how it will make her wise or it will uplift her pride. And then what he does is he gets her to question God's motives. What he says is, is the thing that God told you you should not have, this thing is actually good for you. So, so Satan convinces Eve that God is holding some things back, right? You ever, do you think your kids ever think that you're trying to hold things back from them just because? You know, the uh, fact that uh, dad is always trying to take away all of our fun, okay? Dad is always trying to take away all of the things that we enjoy. This is how Eve began to view God, she began to believe that, that Satan had presented to her that all of these things are good, all of these things are okay, and actually all of these things will make her like God. And Eve began to think to herself, God's holding something back from us. God is keeping something away from us. And then we know the story. He, Eve takes of the fruit, eats of it, gives it to Adam, and, and casts all of the world into what we know of as sin. In the same way, many people have viewed this text as being a command that God gives because God wants to take away our fun, right? Don't love the world. Well, that's not fair, God. There's so much in the world that we can enjoy. There's so much in this world that is pleasing and pleasurable to us. So we begin to believe the lie that God is holding things back from us that, is act that are actually good for us, that are pleasant and pleasing. And then we begin to fall prey to beginning to take, take those things into our life and into our world. We've got to remember this. In the same way that in the garden, when God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the, knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he wasn't holding something back from them as much as he was protecting something that was more valuable to them. In other words, what God was doing was God was putting a hedge around something that meant more than the pleasures and the desires that this fruit could satisfy. In the same way in this text, when God says do not love the world, he's not holding something back from us He's protecting something that is far more valuable. Picture this text this way. Imagine a coach, 
an athletic coach telling one of his athletes, do not fall in love with Twinkies, right? Do not fall in love with Pepsi-Cola. That makes sense, right? Uh, An athlete that wants to compete well is going to have to be disciplined in their eating habits. So what he says is, is if your goal in life is to compete well, if you want to win the Olympics, don't fall in love with these things because these things are going to keep you from accomplishing your goal in life, right? It's so important that we connect the goal here. Somebody who has no goal of winning the Olympics can eat all the Twinkies that they want. Do you guys know what, does California know what Twinkies are? (laughs) All right, good. I got the thumbs up back there. Are Twinkies good around here? Am I, am I stepping on somebody's toes here? <laughs> if I am, I apologize. Please see the spirit of my message and not the actual words of it. If your goal, if you have a goal in place, then these commands that God makes on his people and the commands that a coach makes on his athletes, they make all the sense in the world. You know, it's like a guy, I think, of, I think of the wrestlers over here, and I think of, you know, you have to weigh in before you wrestle, right? So if he decided that one day that he's just not going to, I'm just going to eat whatever I want, I, I, who cares? He loses sight of his purpose and his goal, and he begins to take things into his body that are going to cause him to gain weight. He gets up to the weigh-in, and they say, hey, you can't wrestle today because you, you didn't make weigh-in. How many of us are that way in our Christian lives? The Lord says, hey, don't love the world. Not because I'm trying to keep things back from you. Not because I'm trying to take things away from you that are good and pleasurable and fun. But because you have a bigger purpose. God has a bigger plan for you. And if you love the world, you're not going to be able to compete in the Christian race. You're going to be stuck loving self. Imagine a a dietician telling saying, warning not to love sugar, a pediatrician warning not to love smoking, drugs, or alcohol, a heart doctor warning not to love being sedentary. What we see is in all of these cases, these, these, there is something being held back, but it's not being held back just so that it can be held back because the, the person teaching or instructing is trying to be selfish or mean or harsh. In each case, what what the situation is, is that they're protecting something of greater value. They're protecting something that's more important. And again, remember this, this only matters to those of us who have a purpose. It only matters to those of us who have a goal. I'm I'm uh, I'm a very bad dieter as a few of the men in the church know about already. And I'm um, like, you know, and, and it's amazing because when you have, when you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight, you have to not love what? Chocolate. Yeah, there you go. You have to not love chocolate. That was a good one. That was a good one. Or dots or other types of candy, right? Fried chicken, In order to accomplish the goal, you have to not love certain things. And in the Christian life, the the issue is the same. In order to be effective for God, you're going to have to listen to this text where the Lord says, do not love the world. And you're going to have to refuse to listen to the devil who says, God's trying to hold things back from you, Eve. God's trying to keep things from you that are going to make you awesome. Well, listen, 
Is life about me being awesome? Is it? Or is life about God being awesome? You see, when he can get the attention off of our, get our focus off of God and get our attention and our focus on self, he wins every single time. It's all he did in the Garden of Eden. He just told Eve, Eve, look at yourself. Stop looking at God. And how many decisions do we make in our life as we walk through each and every day? We wake up in the morning, we make decisions. And those decisions are based on one of two things, the flesh or faith. Everything that we make decisions on are based upon those two things. You know, I'm glad that, I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad that we have a crowd like we do this morning. Because some of you walked a distance to get here. You just couldn't just park in the parking lot, right? But you wanted to be here, didn't you? You wanted to be here, willing to make that sacrifice. I, I remember a story of a missionary friend who was in the Middle East, and he said, he said, here's what Americans don't understand. He said, when our people come to church on Sunday, they expect not to return home. They expect not to return home. You see, that's commitment. That's somebody who's in love with the Lord. They, they don't not only not love the world, but they don't even love their own life in over and above their love for the Lord. I don't know that sometimes it wouldn't be healthy for our country to get a little taste of commitment for Christ in that way. To know what it means to really serve God, Christ at a cost. It's not easy to do. Let's look at some things here. Two thoughts this morning. Number one, why do we avoid falling in love with the world? Why does God command us to avoid falling in love with the world? The text, the text tells us three things. Three reasons why we should avoid falling in love with the world. Number one, the Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the first thing that we see in regards to falling in love with the world is that the, the, the love for the world comes at the expense of motivating in our hearts a love for, for God. In other words, the more you fall in love with the world, the more you give your heart to the world, the more you give your life to the world, the less likely you are, the text even implies that it is impossible that you can give your heart to God, right? Matthew chapter number six, the Bible says, man cannot serve two masters. You, by nature, fall out of love with the one that really matters, amen? And I don't even wanna go into details. I know we don't have a lot of young people in here, but you get it. We see this in our culture today, marriage is falling apart, why? Because somebody falls in love with somebody else. And you know what they tell their mate? I just don't, I just don't love you anymore. Well, why don't you love them too? Why don't you just love them both? Because it is impossible. And that's the way God made it. So when you fall in love with the world, you commit yourself to this world, you devote yourself to this world, you let this world consume you, you note this, that you're doing it at the expense of loving God. Say, well, Pastor John, I love God. Well, sure you do. Sure you do. We all think that, right? 
But let me ask you something. If we were to take your, if we were to take, I'm going to use me as an example. If we were to take my lips and sew them shut, I couldn't say a word. All you could do is watch my commitments, my devotion, my money, my time, my energy, and my effort. Would you find that I love God? Or would you find that I love me? See, that's the test. That's the test. That's the standard. It's like 1 John is all about, they say that they love God. They say that they walk in the light. They say this, they say that. But listen, what does their life prove? What does the evidence say at the end of the day? John, uh, James 4 and verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Not my words. This is God's words. It doesn't even say he that pursues friendship with the world. He says he who desires to be, friendship, to, be, to be friends with this world makes himself an enemy of God. So what do we lose? What is God protecting? Number one, falling in love with God. Number two, finding true riches. Notice what he says at the, at the, in the um, next verse. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The second thing that we notice that we lose when we fall in love with the world is we lose this connection to blessings from God. You know, James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift comes from, good, from above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from heaven. And when we fall in love with this world, when we connect our emotions and desires and passions to this world, everything that we have comes from this world. And now, any blessing that we have, we have to manipulate it. We have to make it happen. Because it's not flowing as a blessing. It's ultimately the result of a work. We miss out on the true riches of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And I didn't do that for you. I actually did it for me. So, Philippians chapter number 2. Listen to what the Lord says. In verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, take upon himself the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He um, was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We all know that text, right? So he completely humbled himself. He emptied himself of all reputation. He emptied himself of everything. And watch this. Therefore, never miss what therefore means. Because of what has just happened, because Jesus Christ did the things that God called him to do, therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. 
This is the reward. Every individual that is saved today is the reward for Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It is not necessarily an earthly reward. It is an eternal reward. That's why he tells his disciples in John 14, he says, I go a place. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my spirit, but I'm going to come back as well. And I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? We find true purpose. Look at, look at chapter number three. Paul says it this way in verse four. Though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh also, if indeed, if, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I even more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He's not falling in love with the world in order to gain Christ, is he? He's forsaking it that he might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is by the law, but having the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And listen, you can read beyond that and you see more greatness But he sacrificed it all for the glory of God, for his eternal rewards. Jesus says in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, well, let, let's get there. Finding true riches is number two. Number three, following our eternal purpose. Loving what is temporary keeps us from what is eternal. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text tells us at the very end of the, cha- at the, very end of the section, he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those who love the world love something that is fleeting. Those who love the Lord love something that is forever. I want to read just one verse to you and I'm going to move on to point number two. I want you to think about this verse. The Bible says this, religion that is pure, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let, let me submit this to you. You will never serve the widows and the orphans if you're stained by the world. It's a connection. We cannot serve God and serve the world. Those who are unstained by the world are capable of helping widows and orphans. I was talking to someone this morning about this week. I had the privilege of, of talking with a homeless man and just sitting out there and talking with him. And, you know, my heart was just, I saw him sitting there and my heart was just turned not to go up and offer him food, not to go up and offer him some money, but to just go up and talk to him. Just to spend time with him. To know him. To care for him. 
and to pray for him. He never, he never asked me for a dime. He never asked me for food. But I, sure, I tell you something, he talked my ear off. I know a lot about him. If you're consumed by this world, you will not be able to accomplish that. Because the world will consume you to the point that you have no time to do it. You have no energy to do it. The world, the love for the world will keep you from fulfilling God's eternal purpose for your life. Now, the second thought. How do we, how do we avoid falling in love with the world? I'm going to give you some thoughts here real quick. This is not from this text, but it's from the Bible text. And I'm going to give you some verses to go with it. I'm not going to be, I'm going to just kind of hit them point by point, all right? So let's rush through it. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to just take these down, okay? Remember this. Love for the world looks different for each and every one of us, okay? There are areas in your, in your life right now that you know you're weak in. You know that Satan has a stronghold in your life. You know that those are the areas that you need to be concerned about. And what we often do is we look at other people and we're like, hey, he's struggling with this and I don't really struggle with that, so I must be okay. But, but let me assure you that every one of us have an area of our life where Satan is trying to consume us so that we don't spend our time, energy, and money on the things of God, but we spend our time, energy, and money on the things of self, right? Worshiping self. That's what Satan did ultimately. So it's not a surprise that his children, according to John eight forty four, are also worshiping self as well. So we all have our own area. The issue this morning is, is not what the person sitting next to you struggles with. The issue is, is what does Satan have a stronghold in your life in? And how can you win? How can you win over that thing? The world has a lot of tools. And we see those in the Bible, and I'm not going to go through them, but you think of the woman at the well. She struggled with relationships in John 2. You think about the rich young ruler, he struggled with self-righteousness and money. You think of Judas, he struggled with greed. You think of the farmer who wanted to build new barns, he struggled with possessions. Everybody has a struggle with something. David struggled with lust. Solomon struggled with, I mean, everybody. Something that the devil wants to use to take your focus off of Christ and put your focus back on you. So, here's some thoughts for you. Number one, identify your area of weakness. Know what your area of weakness is. Know what your area of weakness is. The Bible tells us in, in um, Revelation chapter number two, in the, the, the uh, letters to the churches, he says about the, the um, church at Ephesus in chapter number two, he says, the one thing I have against you is that you've left your first love. And then he says, remember therefore from whence you have fallen. In, in other words, Note where, note where your struggle is. Know where your struggle is. Know where your battle is. Know the area that Satan is attacking you in. Whether it be lust of the flesh or the things that you feel like you need in your life. Whether it be the lust of the eyes. It's the things that you see. When you see something and you, and you have to have it or you devote energy, you, you spend your world getting it. You know, you, you, you're, you're consumed until you have it. That's the lust of the eyes. The pride of life is just doing things that exalt self. We need to learn to note where our weaknesses are. Make a, make a note of it and, and don't, think, um, don't think ours are any different than anybody else's because they're all, the Lord is, uh, 
They're all fitting into these three categories. In this process, okay, of identifying your weakness, four things. Number one, be careful that you don't trust your own opinion, <laughs> right? I wrote this down. Be careful you don't trust your own opinion because that might be your weakness. <laughs> that was just a joke, kind of. <laughs> that is true, though, right? Was that a bad joke, guys? Don't, Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 28, 26 says a fool, and I'm going to paraphrase, a fool trusts his own opinion, follows his own heart. So don't trust your own opinion about what your weakness is, all right? How can we know what our weaknesses are? Number one, be in the word. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's capable of discerning, right? It's capable of discerning where we're at. The word of God will expose you for where you're at. So, so get in the word. Listen to what the word of God says. Number two, be in prayer. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what your weaknesses are. Ask him, Lord, where, where, am I, where, where does Satan have a stronghold in my life? Ask him. He will. He says in James 1 and verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask of God, right? So, so be in the word. It will discern your life. Pray for wisdom that God will expose you. And number three, listen to what other people say. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There's wisdom. Listen, to, listen, the people around you know, know you better than you do. If you study the life of Jacob, Jacob was born, he was, called from, he was called Jacob because his name means deceiver, and Jacob goes through his whole life deceiving, and if you study his life, what you will see is that everybody around him knew it, but you know who didn't know it? Jacob didn't know it. He had no, remember when his mom told him to go in and talk to his dad, and here's what Jacob says to his mom. But dad will think I'm a deceiver. Yeah, you got it, Jacob. That's what you are. And until he wrestles with God, at the very end of his wrestling match with God, I believe it's Genesis 32, what does the angel of the Lord say to him? Jacob, what is your name? What is your name? And, Jake, and God did not know Jacob's name. Okay? But God wanted Jacob to know who he was. If we're going to win, we've got to know who we are. We've got to know what we struggle with. So number one, identify your weakness. Number two, take charge of what is acceptable. Take charge of what is acceptable. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says to take every thought captive. In other words, put guards around your mind. And before thoughts enter into your mind, evaluate them whether or not they're acceptable. Things that want to enter into your mind are not always acceptable. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 8 that we're to think on things that are good, things that are pure, things that are honest, things that are of good report, things that are praiseworthy. These are the things that we're to think about. We've got to learn to control what enters into our thinking. Because Satan will convince us that we have to have that, that we need that. And we will be consumed by it. So take charge of what's acceptable in your life. Number three, learn to self-deny. Learn to self-deny or to deny self. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
And Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he even goes to the point of saying that you have to hate your own life. We have to learn to self-deny. I, w- I would encourage each one of us to, to, to make it a point to, to do a fast of some kind, even if it's just a day. If, and you say fasting from food, not always. You can fast from entertainment. You can fast from, you can fast from a number of different things. But what fasting does is it is a really good reveal of where you're at. I, I had a friend who, he told me, he swore he was not addicted to coffee, right? Am I gonna, I'm probably going to step on some, some toes here too. He swore he was not addicted to coffee. So he was a teacher. He was a seminary professor. And he challenged his class. He was talking to his class about sacrifice. He was talking to his class about suffering. And he said, so what we're going to do as a class, we're going to go on a three-day fast. And each one of you needs to pick an area out of your life that you are devoted to and fast from it. He chose coffee. You know what he realized really fast? He was addicted to coffee. Right? He realized it because it just totally destroyed him. He couldn't think, he couldn't, he couldn't, he, 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 I don't remember if he called in sick to work, but he literally, he was incapable of thinking. He didn't realize how much control it had on him till he let go of it. I remember in my life as a, as a young person, I'm a very competitive person, for those of you that don't know me, and, and when I was younger, I was very competitive in basketball. And I remember there was a season of my life where we would have church, I would put together church basketball events and we would go there and I would argue with the, with the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on the court, right? That's what you want to do at a church basketball event. Argue with the people that you've invited to play, right? Well, God told me that I had to let go of basketball. So for a year, I let go. I just, I gave it to God. I said, God, I, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm releasing it and I'm letting go. And he gave it back to me. He let me, and I don't play very much anymore, but he let me play after that. But you know something? When I took it back on, it was completely different. It was no longer a prison to me. It was no longer my master. But it only came by learning to deny myself. So learn to deny yourself. Number four, learn to live in the faith. And when I say faith here, I'm not talking about learn to live in believing. I'm talking about learn to live in the system of faith. Meaning, let, let your life be consumed with the things that God desires from you. Things like um, forgiveness and, and joy and compassion and generosity and those things. Let your life be consumed by those things. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. And then this verse is really important too. Romans 14, 23 says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he eats, he's eating is not in faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is, is sin. Whatever does not proceed from your faith circle, Christ is sinful. It's important that we learn to live within the faith. The last thought this morning is this. Avoid and when necessary, hate that which interferes with love for God. Avoid and when necessary, hate that which interferes with your love for God. There are certain things in life 
that you can just simply avoid. You know that they're a temptation. You know that they're a struggle. You know that if you get involved with them, they're going to consume you. So you can just simply avoid them. There are other things that are so powerful in your life that you cannot just avoid them. You have to develop a hatred for them. I think of like an alcoholic who comes out of alcoholism. I've talked to several in my life the Lord has saved out of an alcoholic lifestyle and they, they, didn't want to walk, they didn't even want to walk near a bar. They hated it. It was something that they had to hate. God gave them that hatred for it. It was a grace. The Bible tells us in Luke 14, 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me but does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And the Lord is not telling us to hate our family members. What he's telling us is that our love for God ought to be so great that it makes what we love otherwise or like otherwise look like hatred. But in addition to that, the Lord says that there will be a time where your family members will be your greatest enemy of the gospel. We have to understand that. The world is going to be an enemy of the gospel. The Lord says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in the civilian pursuits. The King James Version says, no man entangles himself with the affairs of this life. No man entangles himself with the affairs of this life since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And the word entangle there isn't even the idea of loving. It just is the idea of being involved. It's just like, He's so in love with the Lord. All of these things don't matter. If you study the life of the disciples, you see that very clearly. They gave up everything for following after the Lord. Remember, this is not about the Lord giving us things to enjoy because the Lord does give us things to enjoy. This is about knowing the areas that are dangerous to us. The areas that we fall in love with. Identifying them and guarding against them so that we don't lose something that is far more valuable than what we might gain. It'd almost be like if Warren Buffett walked up to you this morning and said, don't fall in love with that $100 bill. Right? It makes sense. Since he has millions. And the Lord says to us, don't fall in love with that world. Because there's something that is so much better. My challenge to us this morning is, is to know that God is not keeping things from us. But God is protecting things for us. And in the end... According to Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to see you rightly, to know what your will is, to know your heart, Lord, to not allow Satan to get in and to cause us to question what you're trying to accomplish or trying to do. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love you more than we love anything else, and to, Lord, pursue um, that love to grow and, and when we find things in our life that are taking away from it, Lord, help us to, 
be guarded against those things. We pray your blessing upon this day. Bless the events that each one of us will go to. We pray that you would do a work in this rally. And again, that Lord God, you will be glorified in it all. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.